1: Hi guys, Adrian here from Arcade Attack. I'm delighted to say that in today's episode I'm actually joined by a real retro gaming god. David Fox of Lucasfilm Games, later to become LucasArts of course, has joined us today for some great insight in working in such an iconic company. He also touches upon some of his projects outside of gaming, which I found really, really quite interesting, and his most recent endeavour where he just finished work on the classic Thimbleweed Park. So guys, sit back, Enjoy the show and let us know what you think. Firstly, Davis, thank you so much for coming to Arcade Attack podcast. We do really appreciate it. Uh, before we, we get into your time at Lucasfilm Games, uh, I'd love to know how you first got into computers, what was your first work experiences, and uh, and how oh, how ultimately you got to work at one of the best and most famous companies in the <laughs> world, really.
0: Sure. Well, my first experience with computers probably when I was in high school and I got to uh, take a class at the local junior college. Um, it's like a two-year college. So I, during after lunch, I would drive over to the college and take a class. And it was actually kind of interesting, but also really frustrating because this was in the era before microcomputers, and we were using punch cards. Right. So so you have to sit at you know write out your program on paper first, and then type it in. You know, one line of code per card, um, bring it over to the, uh, computer, computer guru guy who fed them in, you know, put them in the stack. And then next day you come back and find out whether there were any syntax errors. Um, if there were, you had to replace the cards with new ones with correction. And then you come back the next day to find out whether your program ran. So it was basically a 24 hour turnaround between each change you made and I was just not very exacting and precise with my code and, and just found it more frustrating than anything. And so, okay, I'm not going to screw this. I'm not going to be a computer scientist. Um, I think I took one other class after that, when I was at college, when I went to the four year college UCLA and had a very similar experience except there they were using paper tape, which is probably even more frustrating than cards because you have to, make an error. You have to rerun the whole tape through the machine to get to the point where you have to type the, the fix. Um, so I kind of gave up on that and ended up going into psychology. And wow. during during a field trip, um, we ended up going to Stanford Research Institute and I saw my first real computer game on a CRT at uh, it, was, it was the Space Wars game. Mm-hmm. We have like, you know, a couple of triangles flying around, you know, moving around a screen with, and you push a key and you fire out little period dots, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there, no sound, uh, no color, just all basically character graphics moving around a screen. But uh, I was just, something clicked and I said, wow, this is just really, really cool. And, and it took a few years to get back to that. Um, but that just felt like that was going to be something important for me. Mm. Um, My wife and I um, ended up creating a public access microcomputer center here in Marin County. And this was in 1977. We opened and this is like right at the beginning of microcomputers. Apple II had just come out, um, Radio Shack computer, the TRS-80, was about to come out, and we ended up with getting a bunch of these processor technology Sol 20s, and people would come in and rent time on our computers for like $1.50 an hour, and really? we teach programming classes, and we'd enter in programs from the magazines in BASIC and make little changes to them, and then we ended Eventually, I I learned programming by doing this and also by taking code from other programs and modifying it and learning how other people wrote programs. And um, there was a company called Adventure International that was doing small adventure games, Mm -hmm. kind of in the text adventures, in the vein of the, the, the big one, the Adventure Cave one. Yes, yeah. And but his were on different topics. He had a pirate one, he had different ones, and he bought them for the Radio Shack computer in, in Radio Shack's Basic. And we did a deal with him where we would convert them to the Apple II and then get a royalty, small royalty for doing that. And again, that's another place where I, I got to look at someone else's code and adventure games specifically. Wow. And this would have been probably maybe 78, 1978, 79. And, um, you know, I, I really liked that whole type of game a lot. And yeah, so it was course. kind of a precursor. Um, and because we had the center, we had members from all over the place, including one guy from industrial light and magic, um, our ILM who, um, told me about this new games group that was about to open or start up at Lucasfilm. And found, you know, I, I, Immediately contacted them and and was able to get in an interview and got got the job one of the first jobs there I think I was the third person. That's,
1: that's incredible, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I know. Fair. And it, it, I, I I actually had um one piece I left out was right before, a year earlier I was working on a computer animation book mm. called Computer Animation Primer, which featured the uh, combination of the Atari 800 coding. And the first part was more an overview of the state of the art of computer animation. And during the research stage, I was able to talk to the people at the Lucasfilm computer division and go there and see examples of their work and meet a bunch of them and hang out with them at the SIGGRAPH conference. Mm. And so I already had a relationship with some of them. So when I heard about this new group opening up, I already knew, had already met Ed Catmull, who is the head of the, um, computer graphics division, computer division. Yeah. And you know, so I called him directly and he was someone who put me in touch with the guy they had just hired named Peter Langston, who became our first general manager. Um, and in fact, Atari was um, helping to fund the startup of this, this new games group.
1: Wow. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. They, I think they gave like a million dollars to Lucasfilm with in order to get the first right of any game that we produced, um, they get to first choice of them, right? of first refusal. And so I had my manuscript of my Atari book in my <laughs> hand and that combined with having met the people and a bunch of other things, just, you know, if I, if I look back and say, okay, what are the steps I need to do to get that job? Um, and gone through all those steps. I don't think I could have done any better than what I did. So that was kind of magical in a way. Um, and once I got there, it took me, I don't know, a year or two to stop pinching myself and saying, is this really happening? How could I be here? Do I really belong? Am I good enough? I mean, here, here are these brilliant computer scientists in, in the same division that we're in in our parent division and the computer division um, this is the, the group that eventually got bought by Steve Jobs to become Pixar mm. um, and I'm looking at these guys with their background I'm looking at mm. me with my background like self-taught programmer who only really knew basic <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> uh, and it's like how am I how am I gonna make this happen so um it, it it worked and you know I was there for about 10 years
1: that's a fair play and fair yeah. play. you sound very humble but I'm, you know your resume obviously uh, shows that you did belong there well that's my opinion anyway I'm sure Oh, well, thank source.
0: you I, I, but you have to look at the other part of it like you know there were probably millions of people who were technically more qualified mm. than I was Um, but I happen to live in Marin County and happened to have started this computer centre and written this book and met someone who told me about this at the right time and so all these like kind of randomly kind of yeah. synchronicity things happening with St- the stars aligned in... didn't they yeah yeah
1: <laughs> no, fair did you how about the interview itself did you actually get interviewed by George Lucas did you see much of George or
0: not really um, or? no well not definitely not by George i think i was i might have only been interviewed by peter
1: yeah
0: and i did get to meet george uh, maybe oh well, almost a year after i started when we had early versions of our first two games working. Um, mine was, you know, there was ended up being Rescue on Yeah. And he came in for a demo, and actually, it you know, was in my office, and handed him the joystick, and he played the game for a while, and then um, and then we talked, and he gave me some really good feedback, which essentially transformed the game. Awesome. And that was the only... Real direct experience, like one-on-one experience I had with him. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah other times I meet him and yeah, you know, say hello. Or um, you know, I remember right be- right before we did Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, we had a short meeting with uh, by we I mean myself, Ron Gilbert, and Noah Falstein. Yeah. Yeah. And then with George and and Steven Spielberg, met kind of casually and just asked questions about. You know, how close we had to say to the script yes. and could we kill Indy if we wanted to and um, could we go off into tangents and <clears throat> they basically gave us total freedom to do what we wanted to oh, and they really. really didn't come back and check. So there really wasn't much oversight. I They trusted us or knew that we'd you know, do well enough that they didn't have to worry about that.
1: Yeah, I've got a question a little bit later actually about that, but brilliant. That sounds sounds like they put a lot of trust in you fair play. Yeah, um, obviously you started very early in Lucasfilm Games, later to become LucasArts. Obviously, could you sort of describe the, these early days? Uh, obviously, I assume it's quite a small office back in the real early days. And who who are the real key people back back then that you really worked closely with in the in the real sort of first couple of years, maybe?
0: Um, well, first few years, I think we by the by the end of the first couple of years, we might have been up to maybe 10 or 15 people in the group. Um, obviously, Peter Langson was the our general manager, so I got to work with him a lot, and he his background was much more from research, which I think was one of the reasons they brought him in because initially we were I don't know if it was clear that we were going to be a production company as opposed to maybe just researching. Um, how how can we bring the aesthetic of Lucasfilm into, into games, into yeah. interactive? And at some point, that shifted, I think maybe soon after we actually released the first two games, then it became clear like, hey, we can actually build product that ships and we should no longer be focused on being a research group. Mm. We should really be focused on production. And around that time, um, became clear that Peter wasn't gonna be the best match for that since he, he was much more of a research guy. So we brought in Steve Arnold, who ended up being our general manager for most of the time I was there. And his background, he was actually a psychologist. Oh, wow. Um, which really helped to manage a bunch of crazy games people. Um, he was like the dad of the group.
1: And obviously, um, you studied psychology.
0: You said earlier, so I suppose you had that yeah, in common. Yeah, it's something in common, but I was—I really wasn't a practicing psychologist. Okay, so yeah. The difference, um, and uh, he, he had actually, I think, his previous gig though was working at Atari, getting a whole bunch of games, at, like you know, fifty or sixty games out the door. You know, mostly conversions and yep. adaptations, but um, he was clearly able to get product out. Um, so clearly him, those two guys, um, you know, Dave Levine and I shared an office. Dave Levine did ballblazer. Yeah. Um, he and I shared an office for a little bit and then, uh, we were there and he basically was hired a week after, a month after I was. So we were there around the same time, but we never actually worked on a project together. You know, we give feedback back and forth, but, but he was more off doing his thing on his own. Um Lauren Carpenter, who was my initial office mate, was actually a brilliant uh, brilliant guy behind animating fractals. Um and he was in the computer division and he was on loan to us off and on during the first six months to get rescue on fractals working. Okay. And um, you know, Charlie Kilner, um someone who was I think Apple employee number seven was someone I met when I was at the computer center and I asked him to interview for a position. He, he was like probably the best, best, best 6502 programmer I knew. Um, it's brilliant new, new ins and outs of, of that chip. And you know, all the code, all the games we were doing initially were 6502 based and we were doing, you know, doing it in assembly language. Um, actually we were using a, a lisp cross assembler that another guy who was with us for a short period wrote for us to use. Cause so we used, we actually used um, a Vax computer to compile all of our code. And then we had a way to download it directly to either through the Atari, to the Atari or to the target machine. Oh, nice. So we were doing de- we were doing development on larger computers and then you know, using our target machines. It, it wasn't until you know years later, when PCs were powerful enough, that we could just develop directly on the PC.
1: Yeah, it sounds, it sounds like a very different sort of time back then. Very difficult to, to manage, yeah. but fair play. Fair play.
0: Um, no, another guy was Noah Faustine, who yeah, um, who was he. He really wasn't on the t- first two projects. He came on like soon after, um, probably towards the end of production on, on our projects. I know he was in the manual, um, photographs that we took for rescue. Mm. Um, and he was, um, yeah, he, he's still my a really good friend of mine. We, he was actually, actually saw him yesterday. So he's one of the oh, few wow. people I, I see on a pretty regular basis. We have a tradition, um, where if we don't, if we get sidetracked and other things, we, have these birthday lunches or birthdays are about six months apart so we if we miss other dates we at least get to see each other once a year or twice a year for for a lunch on each of our birthdays
1: oh, good on you he's he is isn't he the person that came up with the uh the freeway system on atlantis as well the free options the free sort of pathways is that right
0: i'm know, not you? sure I, I i was actually out of the company by the oh, time okay. you were working on that game okay um enough. or it was mostly out um but he, you know, he, I think the only game I really worked with him on was the Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. Brilliant
1: guy. So, brilliant, brilliant, yeah.
0: Brilliant. So he was the, I think, original project leader. And then when we realized we had to get the game out the door in time for the film, yep. then Ron and I got brought onto the project. We all worked together pretty much co, co-project leaders and, and coders. <clears throat> brilliant. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably leaving out some important people. I mean, there, some, there was a really awesome team early on, and we all, I think we started a tradition which carried on for a long time where when someone new was going to be brought on, we would all have a chance to interview with that person and, you know, give our feedback if them, set them stand. We think the person would fit. And, you know, the final decision would be that of the general manager. Of course but, yeah. Um, it was kind of, it felt like a kind of an exclusive club, you know, like, do we want this person in our club? Um, and you know, that probably ended up creating some pushback by some people who we interviewed, but we didn't hire for whatever reason. Um, but that was, you know, it also created a really close group, um, of maybe people that thought too much alike. I don't know. Um, I think we really honored. You know, wackiness and craziness. At least, for, definitely later on, that was something we were looking for when we were looking for additional programmers to help with, with games.
1: Oh, well, I mean, fair play. I mean, so many great games have come out from the studio. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, was Rescue on Fractures the first ever game you worked on, uh, David? Was there any others before that, or?
0: Well, definitely the first Lucas game. Yeah. Um, there was a really small game I did. Um, under contract for Children's Television Workshop in a Sesame Street company. When we were at the computer center, um, they came and visited, visited us because they were about to create this new center in Philadelphia called Sesame Place. And they wanted a bunch of Apple II games that they could put in consoles or in kiosks. And let kids play, you know, short, really short games that would last a couple minutes to five minutes each. And we did one for them called Mix and Match Muppets. And you know, I did the design and and actually did the artwork by using a graphics tablet and scanning in uh, drawings from Sesame Street coloring books. And um, I didn't write the assembly code. We had another guy help with that, but I wrote the the rest of the code that ran the program. It's really written in BASIC.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, you could search for it and find, like, a picture. Basically, you're you a you know, really simple game for young kids where you choose the head, body, and feet from different Sesame Street Muppets, and it combines them together into a new one. That sounds pretty good. Names, gives them a name, and it's yeah, kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, genetically that's modified, modified Muppets. That, <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, that's the extent. I mean, it was... Very, it wasn't a very deep game,
1: <laughs> but it paid it, paved the way. Obviously, it gave you that sort of early ideas, I suppose, and early sort of practice. Brilliant! Yeah, well, also
0: knowing that I could do one from start to finish helped,
1: of course. Yeah, um, fair play. Um, Rescue and Fracture, this uh, obviously is quite different to sort of future Lucasfilm and LucasArts games. How do you reflect back on the game looking back now? I mean, you were the project leader, weren't you? The, the, was it the overall designer as well? Is that is that
0: right? Yeah. I, project leader, designer, one of the programmers. Um, I don't think at the, at the time I started doing it, you know, I basically um, didn't, I don't think I had the word. We don't have, we didn't have the word project leader yet. So it took me like, you know, maybe six months into the game before I realized that this was actually my game, that it was like, I was in charge. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Um, but it started because I shared an office with Lauren Carpenter for a couple for a few months until our own space was ready. And being the fractal guy, I mean he did the fractal fly through sequence in mm. Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan, where they're terraforming this planet, the Genesis Effect planet. And so he knew how to do fractals where you're flying through, but that you know, doing a thing where you're where you're taking one or two days to render each frame of, of a beautiful scene is really different than having to get it to run it the a small frame rate on a 6,502 computer. Yeah. yeah. So I asked him early on, I think I asked him, is there any way that we could do a fractal you know, first person fractal game on, on an Atari? 800 and he kind of laughed and said no no way (laughs) and then he said then he, you know know, a little while later he said well you know maybe there is a way to do it and we ended up loaning him a computer and he back like within maybe a day or two with with a working prototype of a fractal scene that you could fly around in um or at least move around in Mm. and so that's that was you know that was the idea for the game was I wanted, I wanted something which was kind of like a star Wars experience. You know, I, I'm still, I and mean, I joined the company cause I wanted to be inside star Wars in some way. And yeah. the, the best way could be to do a game, an authentic star Wars game within the company and where you're flying like an X wing or something. And, uh, through a fractal landscape. That was the original idea. And then we found out that we weren't allowed to do any Star Wars games. Ah, because... It's a
1: shame, isn't
0: it? No. Well, yes and no. It was a shame because that's, that's why I thought I joined the company. Mm. Um, at the time I was really upset <laughs> yeah. and you know, it's because the, the license to everything Star Wars had already been sold to other companies, ah, exclusive okay. licenses for big bucks. So, um, the, the, the plus side is that meant that we had to be creative outside of Star Wars. We couldn't use that as a crutch. Um, and that also meant that I think George gave us much more creative freedom because we weren't delving in his universe, you know, in, in yeah. his, his baby. Um, so he didn't have to worry about us messing it up. So by having, by having that, it was actually probably a huge blessing because we had at least... Maybe eight years, nine years that we were essentially Star Wars free and could come up with our own cool ideas. Um, so on rescue, you know, once we saw it was doable, then, you know, we had a small team where we were doing the whole game and I did the design. I did a lot of the, um, gameplay related code where all the heavy lifting in terms of fractal stuff and the, Character animation and sound sound routines um, were done either by Lauren for the for the flying part, and then Charlie Kellner did most of the um, the rest of the really you know involved stuff that had to be optimized for 6502. Okay. And I did I kind of did the glue I guess you know we're you know the, the scoring and the and the how the art would look for the firing of the missiles and and the level of difficulties and the opening the, the opening sequences like in the tube and flying out into the planet's surface and you know all the you know the way the gameplay worked. Um, so yeah you know, it worked really well. So I think we had a really good team and we realized we had a great game coming out. You know, it was really a huge blow to us when the games both Rescue and Ballblazer ended up on the pirate networks. Yeah, on the bulletin boards, you know, before we shipped the games, and uh, the games actually didn't ship for like another year past that for very for weird uh, weird combination of sequence of things events that happened, and uh, so by the time it came out for that platform, anyone who actually wanted it could have easily have downloaded a copy. That's a shame, then, isn't it?
1: All that hard work just.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, d- definitely it affected how I looked at um, piracy. I think we were totally naive because we we didn't I, we lent out copies of the games of the games to Atari for the marketing department. and yeah. like a week after is when it went, they were on the bulletin boards. So we don't know if that's how they got out. <laughs> yeah, seems likely.
1: That is a we shame. Didn't... That is a
0: shame. Yeah. We didn't do any kind of serialisation. We didn't put any kind of copy protection on. So who knows?
1: Fair enough. Um, you then moved on. Is it fair to say that uh, I think Labyrinth was your next game? Uh, right. Was that your first graphic adventure? And uh, was it very different working on a sort of game like Labyrinth compared to your previous sort of first, you know, the shooting sort of games and so forth?
0: Yeah, it was also the first game we did that was based on film.
1: Yeah, of course, and yeah.
0: I think they were kind of testing us to see whether we could actually um, take a film and adapt a game to it, adapt it into a game. And they gave us the opportunity. You know, We saw um, some early footage on a videotape.
1: With David Bowie um, dancing around and so forth.
0: Yeah, yeah. Showing, showing them the puppets and the puppets. Oh, right, yeah. And so in the story, we got a script to look at. And they say hey do you want to do this and said, sure um sounds like it'd be kind of fun to do it um so we ended up um a group of us went to england and had a week there where we were brainstorming with douglas adams yeah, um, what which I yeah. um and he was good friends with um well he, yeah he was really good friends with Jim Henson who is the Mm. director on the film and um, we ended up in a room like pretty much every day for a week five days and um, like going through the script and talking about how we could adapt that and he came up with some really great ideas um, many of which made it into the game Mm. and then it was my job when we came back to take all the brainstorming ideas and and figure out how to adapt them into a cohesive game that also, you know, honored the film, but didn't require that you saw the film. That's a tough balance act, isn't it? Yeah.
1: It's a tough balance act.
0: Yeah. Uh, we didn't want having seen the film to be a huge hmm. advantage. Um, so we try to create a parallel story inside of the same universe with some of the same obstacles and you had to come up with ways to to go around them the, the fact that the, we knew it was going to be a graphics game um we originally thought it would be closer to a sierra online game with a text parser oh, okay and realized that in order to compete it would take us way too long to come up with a, a really good text parser that or, or even good enough you know that was on the on the level of the sierra ones um we just didn't have the time for the iterations and the research and to and to come up with that so we came up with the idea of this kind of a slot machine interface where you have two, like two vertical scrolling wheels yeah yeah of, word of wheels vert- tech
1: system isn't it it's really quite impressive
0: yeah so it's kind of you know it's, it's Functions so similar, similarly to what we did later with the scum games Yeah, but, i was gonna ask you about yeah. that
1: yeah
0: yeah um would you that say dude, that was
1: did that lay the groundwork for the scum engine do you think or? i didn't
0: i don't know how much it did i mean clearly ron was already there at the time yeah um he, he didn't work on that game but he you know he was in the room or rooms close enough to see it um and i think uh, he might have just started, realized that we he liked the idea. I, I actually don't know. I mean, he might've seen that this was a good solution. He, he already didn't like parsers. So yeah. he, he wanted another solution. I think ours was probably, I, I think his is way more elegant than what we came up with. Um, but there had to be some connection. I mean, he, he definitely used some of the code for the care the sprites and the scrolling and a you know, all the stuff that charlie had done
1: yeah
0: um the technical part got brought into um the scum engine um so animation um probably the sound the sound engines that charlie had put together um yeah, i'm not sure what else but you know of that made it and so we tended to reuse whatever we could um and i the going back to labyrinth Um, the idea of starting out with with essentially a text adventure Mm. for the first five minutes was one of Douglas Adams' ideas. Um, he wanted, he had the idea that maybe, maybe you're being introduced in the world kind of like the way that you get introduced into Oz in the Wizard of Oz film.
1: Yeah.
0: Where first it's in black and white and then it's in full color once you get to that new world. And we figure, okay, well, black and white equivalent would be like a text adventure. Hmm. And so you have to go around, you know, the real world, finding very couple objects you need to make it into this movie theater, which then is where, um, you get sucked into the film essentially, um, and you're in the world of the labyrinth and then it's full color and graphic adventure. So the, the downside was we were afraid that some people would think they were getting a graphics adventure well they were, but you know, start playing with the text adventure part and say, "Hey, this is not what I bought," and, and yep. give up and and then return it or something. So um, the the movie didn't do all that well. Yeah, I was going
1: to say, I, I think famously the game actually sold better than the movie. I think when it initially came out, is that
0: fair? Or? Possibly, yeah, yeah, but I think also because the the movie didn't do especially well. Activision, yeah. who was who was the company that actually published published and, and funded it, um, I don't think they put a lot of marketing into it because they saw that the film wasn't going to, um, you know, help carry it. You know, the film didn't carry the of course, now yeah. Yeah. Films films now you know, a classic in that, you know, it's, you know, David Bowie movie. And I'm
1: a, I'm a huge fan actually Jen- Labyrinth. I've shown my wife recently. I think it's very, very, it hasn't aged too badly at all. Would
0: you- uh, that's cool. Yeah. I haven't seen it for years. So, yeah. um, you know, Jennifer Connelly, who went on to do a bunch of amazing stuff that's and, rad. um, seeing her as a, like a 16 year old and, and, um, you know, there's some fun stuff in it. It's just kind of crazy.
1: Maybe ahead it's- of its time slightly, you could argue possibly.
0: I think. Yeah. Um, so, um, it was also kind of, you know, it it was, it it was a difficult game in a lot of ways because we also had a a hard deadline where we didn't, we didn't have that with our other games. And here we had a, you know, a release date for the film that wasn't going to move. And, and we, we didn't actually get the game out to, coincide with the release I think it came out a couple months after right um, which is not ideal because we couldn't then really piggyback off of all the marketing that the film was going to get um, did you have to anyway, do quite a that,
1: few long nights then to try, <laughs> try and meet the deadlines yeah, as much as possible yeah
0: there's a hu- huge crunch period that summer uh-huh. I did try to get it out um,
1: yeah well fair play um, obviously Lucas I know Lucasfilm and LucasArts they make more than just text adventures and point of click adventures but obviously, I, I would. You may disagree slightly, but I think that was their forte. Uh, kind of, you know, around a sort of period of time. Just, leading not to mansion, for example, was there a particular point in the office when when focus really shifted to that sort of genre, or was, was it just an organic change, or was a a big meeting, or, ha- or do you think I'm not even, you know, is that not really a fair question in the sense? Or,
0: well, I think there were always other projects happening. Yeah. Um, there was the. You know, there, I think there at some point became clear there was like a graphic adventure contingent or group,
1: yeah.
0: Um, and but at the same time, we also had um Larry Holland was working on a bunch of flight simulator type games, yeah, and yeah. so there was a whole, whole other area where we were, we were doing simulators essentially. Um, Noah's uh Chronos Rift. Yeah. um was much more of a strategy type game you know with an action element he you know, was basically using the fractal code from rescue right and, you know brought up to a new level um and then there was um he did a phm pegasus which was a kind of a, a game with a, a hovercraft that you're, you're in i think it was Is it hovercraft?
1: Yeah, it's yeah.
0: a friendly. It. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, you know, so it's not... And, and they're so. So he, worked, he ended up working with Larry on the flight simulator stuff that Larry would do um, to some degree. Um, and and I think we always had that other arm, mm. you know, which eventually moved over to you know from like World War II type simulations, like secret weapons of the Luftwaffe. Yeah and then on to you know star wars
1: oh, yes yeah, a huge that was a huge arm like one wasn't it
0: right and that was you know larry's group did a lot of the early star wars flight simulator stuff yeah so so that was a whole other section um but i was always really focused on adventures and the only game i did that really wasn't an adventure game was the first one was rescue
1: yeah
0: um and once i you know, And it you know, makes sense, looking back, that was the game that I was drawn to before I even came to Lucas. It makes sense that that's where I'd end up um, working on those. But I don't remember any kind of um, like, you know, here's what we have to do. I mean, I had, I was I remember brainstorming on other game ideas that never made it to games. I think we were looking for outside funding for some, which really weren't, especially graphic adventures. Yeah. So, but, you know, other types of games I was still interested in, but that was what... Um, that's the path they went on, I guess. Oh,
1: fair enough. Um, obviously, at Mansion, huge game. It, it sort of led on to like Day of the Tentacle and so forth. And uh, you know, one of my personal favorites, really old, classic game in my view. Uh, what was it like working with Ron Gilbert and obviously uh, Gary Winnick? I mean, legends in their field. Obviously, you, you were involved in the game as well. What was that like? And can you describe like a typical day working on that game, for example?
0: Yeah, well, well, Brian, um, I, I guess I was between projects I was, wasn't sure what I was gonna do next and I knew Ron had been working on something for like a year already and he had finally gotten to the point where he had enough of the scum engine working that he could actually start coding the game
1: yeah.
0: and realized that we, that he still had to continue working on the engine but he wanted to get the game to start so he asked me if I'd be interested in putting in a couple months of scum coding um to help you know to help him with that game so i came on and you know i didn't know anything about the the project or the um the story because he had gary had pretty much come up with that um they had a they had it laid out but not on a really finely detailed level yeah. so they had most of the puzzles but most of the rooms defined, but not any of the dialogue or the actual, you know, how you actually went about interacting with the different characters. So I started doing that and, um, kind of interesting to work on a work in an engine that's still very buggy. So yep. I couldn't really tell initially whether it was my bug or his bug and we have to try to get all the time and to try narrowing out what the, what the issues are. Um, but you know, it was very clear that this was his game and Gary's game and, and I had no problem, you know, letting them run with, you know, do that, take creative control. Yep. And I think we worked really well together. Um, I felt very comfortable on the team. Um, you know, I, our offices were close to each other. So I'd be popping into his office all the time saying, Okay in this section, you know, what, what happens if you do this, this, and this, and I said, Oh, we never thought of that. And, you know, we just brainstorm on the, on the moment, um, come up with a solution. I go back and code it up and, and even kind of as each room came up, you know, we talked about what had happened there, what the interactions were, um, and you know, it just, it, it worked smoothly. I mean, what turned out to be, what he thought were going, was going to be two months to code the whole game turned out to be, I think I, I, think I was on for about six months. Wow. Um, and it still wasn't done. He had to, had to go on to something else, but he ended up um, having to put a lot more time because of the complexity of having all the multiple choices of kids and multiple endings you could have. Mm. So it was much more complex. I think, I think that made the game enormously more complex than it would have been if you just... You know, here's three people you get to you run through the game with. But it also gave it a lot more replayability and you, know, you could try any combination of kids and find a way to complete it you know, with different solutions.
1: Fair play. Um, is it true that it was the first ever self-published game by Lucasfilm at the time?
0: Yes. Yeah, I, I think at that point we realised that uh, that's where we had to go from having other companies publish our games to actually doing them ourselves, that, and
1: yeah, does that add we, extra pressure at all? Maybe to make it. I know that Ron's obviously a proper legend, but to make the game perfect before it was released, it obviously. Is.
0: No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think I think everything we did, we had that same level of yeah. of you know knowing that we had to live up to Star Wars. Like everything we turned out, this is the you know, people would think of us as the Star Wars of, of computer games or something. So it, we felt like there was. It wasn't even a mandate, it just something we felt internal pressure that we had to live up to that expectation. Um they, in fact, you know, going back to the first two games, they were that pressure was so high that in order to not feel um frozen yeah. by that, um, we were told that the first two games we attempted would just be you know, throwaway games mm-hmm. that we would do these as an experiment or as a research project, you know, kind of get our, our feet wet to see what it would feel like to to take a game all the way through. And if they turned out to be interesting games, then, you know, sure we could publish them, but otherwise don't worry about it. So that took a whole bunch of pressure off that, you know, we were given permission to fail. Um, yeah. At, right at the beginning. And then when we realized that we weren't failing that it was actually Pretty
1: good. And, yeah, enough, you know, fair play. Changed. Just shows you how well the team was working at the time. And still, you know, and so many great games were published. Mm. Um, Zach McCracken and the Alien Mind Menders, That was another project you led. Uh, it's how would that rank in your personal favourites of all the games you worked on? Because I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but you you put a lot of time and energy into that game, I believe. And would you ever like to make an official sequel to the game? Would that be something that ever crossed your mind?
0: Okay, well, first, it's probably at least up until recently, probably was my favorite. Um, You know, it was really the only graphic adventure I worked on that totally came from myself. Yeah. Because of the other two I worked on, um, you know, Maniac was really Ron and Gary's universe that I was playing inside of and trying to, you know, adapt my humor to what they were creating. Mm -hmm. And then following that was Indiana Jones. And again, we were on a film project, so we we had some limited control over where we were going. The story was already established.
1: Same with labyrinth, I suppose,
0: a little bit. Yeah, it same yeah. With labyrinth. So, so really, that was the first game I did. That was a graphic adventure where the story was completely mine, and um, you know, the the whole type of game was you know came out of my interest in kind of new agey kinds of things, and mm. and. Um, um, early on, after I had the design completed, um, you know, we had a, a meeting with the other game designers of the company, of yeah. the group, and you know, that one that Ron had actually instigated because he he felt that the game was well, could it could be funny, it could be a lot, a lot funnier that we should take it into a much more wacky direction than I originally had. I mean, it, it was intended as a comedy originally, but it was more. Button down. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the character, his name was Jason. He worked for main, mainstream media. He wasn't working for like this low tabloid and the, all the rooms or locations and everything were the same. That didn't change, but we kind of twisted it a little bit by making into wacky land yeah. <laughs> by, by, um, you know, coming up, coming up with this title, but that's where the title was born. That's where the, um, Zach got his name, came came out of a phone book, Marin County phone book. I think we had to <laughs> combine a couple of different names. Yeah. Um, and the idea of working for a tabloid came from that. And so, so with that shift, um, it felt like you know things that were clicking a lot better. Um, and then we went off and started coding. And I, I got um, some help early on too. I realized I wasn't going to be able to do the whole thing myself and so Matthew Kane, um, who's already working with us in the education group, the learning group, yeah. um, came over to, um, help me with all the coding. So you know, at that point, the game you know, became a really co- a collaborative experience. And it was probably, it was probably one of the, the best gaming experiences too, in terms of working with him and, and, you know, building this universe together and just having a lot of fun with it. So. Yeah. I have a lot of fond memories on that. Um, I've, I've, I've been asked a lot whether I would want to do a sequel yep. and I, uh, it, it changes from time to time. I mean, the, I know that, you know, Disney owns everything at this point yep. and the idea of, of even doing a reboot, um, seems pretty unlikely. Um, you'd have to I mean, they wouldn't even talk to someone like us. They, you'd have to be like like what uh, Double Fine did, where they were essentially Sony got the license and then Double Fine did the work yeah. um, to to do those. Um, we did talk about this, you know, some years ago as a possibility, but um, you know, I think um, especially after doing Thimbleweed Park. The idea of doing new stuff which is just much more fun to me right now than kind of going back and doing some revisiting something old, even though I'm really fond of the characters and the whole story. Of course, yeah. So okay. I, I'm, I'm open to it, but I'm, I'm not actively pursuing it. So, you know, if things kind of happened like that, then I wouldn't say no straight out.
1: Yeah. Um, but it, a lot of things would need to. Be put in place, wouldn't they? I suppose. Yeah,
0: I, I don't think I'm in a place where say, like, "Okay, I'm going to go get that license. I'm going to make it happen right yeah. now." I don't. I don't feel that kind of a drive. Yeah. But if if the kind of things fell in my lap and that's what what was happening, then there'd be interest.
1: Because uh, I think a few fans made um, their own sort of games, didn't they? We heard about these their own sort
0: of. Stuff. Yeah. Is
1: that, have you played yeah. any of those, funny chance? Or? I
0: I didn't because I, I think at the time I felt that if there ever was a sequel. Um, I didn't want to have played theirs for fear of accidentally pulling ideas from their games into into a sequel. Yeah.
1: But you weren't so, up, you weren't upset by them making games, was that?
0: No, no, I felt honored. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I felt, yeah. it felt like wow, this is amazing. Yeah, I had no idea that people and they're all from Germany. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, the German. The German um, fans love the game so much that they had to create the universe to continue playing in it. Hmm. So yeah, no, I'm totally honored. Um, yeah, you know, I was in, in talk in touch with a few of them. I think on one of the games, Matthew, myself, and and my wife Annie got together and, and recorded some audio um, snippets for them um, that got put into the game. Oh, good so, on you. so, you know, I was I was supportive in a way, but not involved.
1: Yeah, that's usually. well, fair play to you. I think mean, that's a very good attitude. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, I think you kind of answered this question already. Um, But obviously, George Lucas, huge films. Uh, It was pretty much a no-brainer to start making adventure titles using his sort of licences. And obviously, The Last Crusade, I think, was the first... Well, one of the first ones, at least. Um, Did you have to work really, really closely to the script of the film, or were you given quite a lot of creative freedom? I know you kind of mentioned it earlier, but did you see the film before you made the game, or was it a bit like Labyrinth, or how was that working in that particular game?
0: No, well it was similar to labyrinth in that we got a script and we got projection stills that we got to look at so we knew what the, what the locales would look like um you know the the, the there was a, a library at the ranch we were at the ranch at the time the library had all the you know slides and film images that were taken during production where they
1: yeah.
0: maybe were partly continuity images or they were you know part maybe going to be used for promotion later on for PR, but we got to access those. So we knew how to make the game look like the environments that they took place in. Um, but the movie really wasn't done. I mean, and, and here we are here. We were again, trying to get a film and a game to release at the same time. Yeah. So there was no way we could watch the movie before because you know the movie really wasn't finished until a few weeks before it released um we did get to go down to los angeles to paramount studios and we had a screening with a bunch of other people like it's a first time screening yeah. and um you know that was our first experience with the whole film and, and and during in watching that we and it, that probably wasn't even the final cut that was like a maybe pretty close to final i think there might have been a few scenes that were um, oh let me think i think there might have been a screening we saw before that up at the ranch also because i remember there were some some scenes that said you're know, missing your special effects or yeah things that weren't quite complete but that even that was you know we were far into the game and you know couldn't have changed much at that point there, there were a couple of scenes um that we got from the script that never made it to the movie um, there's a host sequence on the Zeppelin with a radio operator, which had, was much more involved in the, in the original script. So it made, had more of a role in the game. Um, but we, I think our idea of you know, similar to Labyrinth, how do we um, use the environment? And here, here you are Indie, so you really are going through the same um, story flow. But how do we make it so it feels really interesting for someone who's actually seen the movie and came up with the idea of, like, you know, that you could um, use, you know, often three different ways to solve some of the puzzles, either by fighting your way through. Um, so we had this whole fighting, boxing interaction, and you could take on the Nazi guards or whatever. Of course, yeah. 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 Or or you do it through dialogue puzzles where you could talk your way through, or you could do it by finding the right object that that person needed at that time to let you through. And we tracked all that so we knew, you know, through multiple playthroughs which of these solutions you've used and kept the running total and gave you indie points based on um which of all the different solutions you've tried. So the only way to get the maximum number of points would have been to play through, you know, several times in order to get them all. And yeah, I it's... think that gave it gave some replayability and made it, you know, much more of a you know, you know expandability in terms of the game. Of course, yeah. But yeah. it was also it was a tight project also. I mean just yeah, you know, I, I remember it being a lot attention stress, but but not I don't remember the team suffering as a result it felt like we were putting in long hours but it, it felt i still remember that as a fun project to have worked on
1: is it weird watching the film now <laughs> as, a, as a, I assume you're a fan of the films is it weird looking back? yeah well i
0: i haven't seen it for a long time i, I would like to watch it again um yeah. but i i loved the movie when it came out um i did not care for the, the number two the temple of doom oh, very okay. much yeah uh, and so seeing this felt like we were back in, in, in real Indie land and the whole thing with his father was just a huge amount of fun. Oh sure, Connery is, very that. good in that one. Yeah. yeah.
1: Excellent. Yeah. Um doesn't have to be your own title, it can be your own title, but do you have a personal favourite Lucasfilm or LucasArts game that you that you ever saw or worked on or just yeah.
0: I probably the monkey out the first two Monkey Island games. Yeah, they're my favorite um, up there my favorites, definitely. Yeah. I didn't work. I mean, I, I at the time of the first one, I was then the director of operations, so I wasn't actually okay. doing game design. But I did get to participate in the brainstorming meetings and threw out some ideas. I at least one of them got into the game. Um, and there's, you know, I just remember Beard more as a support person for for Ron's and I was more in charge of resource management essentially at the time. So I was uncredited in the game, but not from actually doing the game.
1: I, it's, Uh, yeah, it's my first ever adventure I've ever played. And it's, it's definitely got a special place in my heart. It's just so well done, isn't it? I have to say.
0: Yeah, I think it was brilliant. Um,
1: when did you actually leave LucasArts uh, and um, how would you reflect back at your time working there? You were there for about 10 years, is that right, David? So how yeah,
0: well, I was, I was with a, with Lucasfilm for 10 years. Yeah. Um, the first eight years I was in you know Lucasfilm Games slash LucasArts. And when I actually came to the company, my real interest, and I didn't say this before, but when I was the, the impetus for actually starting our computer centre um it was back in 1975 or 76 we were brainstorming and i was imagining some sort of you know futuristic interactive disneyland you know so rather than just sitting at a computer and playing a game you'd be fully immersed in an experience and it would be um it would change every time you did it and it would be life-changing you know having gone through these would would change you in a way in a good way um mm. you know, just you know, just with having really solid transformative experiences while going through these and that was kind of the goal it originally was to work on an interactive Disneyland
1: how amazing is that yeah
0: so and this is before you know virtual reality and any of that terminology came up and we so when i first joined i said here's what i want to do And I told that to Peter and I told that to Steve Arnold and they said, well, that's great. Um, Right now we're doing home games. (laughs) 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 So, so that was kind of uh, what I wanted, what I got to do in the meantime. Um, But Steve said, you know, if you, you know, he actually was really interested in that whole idea too. And he said, well, let's do this now and maybe we'll get to do that later. So when he asked me to be, director of operations, it was kind of like, um, he knew that wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. He said, just, you know, help me out for a year. And at the end of that, we we'll get, you get everything set up. We'll get someone in to take your place of that. And then, you, then we'll do this, try to do a uh, location based entertainment project. Um, and you can be on that. So that's pretty much what happened. Um, so, for, so at the end of my director of operations year, we had started up a new little group. It was pretty much outside of LucasArts. It was a separate division called Rebel Arts and Technology okay. and called RAT. And it was just a very you kind of skunkworks type group where we had a um, venture with Hughes Simulation. Um, Hughes, Hughes was the company that was doing a lot of flight simulators for military and for commercial airlines. Yep. And we decided we would do a kind of flight simulator based on, you know, Lucasfilm properties. Oh, the so first game, yeah, so I got to do a Star Wars game in this, you know, in a flight simulator. A real flight simulator essentially. Wow. And um the idea would be that we would create these, we would Lucas would be in charge of the or say our team would be in charge of the creative part of it you are doing the story, doing the sound effects and designing the look of the pod itself. And um, Hughes would be in charge of the tech, you know, coming up with the, the right computers and the, mm. the right projectors and, and all the technical stuff. They already knew how to do that. So that was two years. I was on that for two years and amazing games. Um, you know, this is way before it's time. I mean, now you could do stuff like this much, much more easily, but at the time we had to use like million dollar image generators and, you know, super expensive for the whole thing. And in fact, it was so expensive that at the time it, 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 we couldn't practically yeah. get it sold into theme parks. Such so the shame. project, yeah. yeah, project closed down and I left, you know, left the company at, oh. as a result because I, I, at the time I, I really wanted to be doing something in either in VR um, yep. that, you know, VR by that had been, had been at least, um, early versions had been invented and I got to play with it and said, so this is where I want to. And, and the idea of going back and doing, you know, TD graphic adventures or whatever just seemed like I'd be going backwards.
1: Not sound, yeah.
0: So that's where I was hoping. And, and, you know, I got to do that a, a bit and then it just kind of, I became clear that it was way too much of it was hype for the technology at the time. So kind of died. it died. sounds a bit
1: of a bittersweet exit. Is that a bit, is
0: that fair to say? It sounds, yeah, yeah, it was, it was definitely, it was bittersweet. I mean, I really wanted to continue on that project. It was yeah. like finally after 10 years or eight years, I was on my dream project. Um, and then it, it, it fell apart and part of it, you know, various things happened. You know, when I think was, you know, Steve Arnold, who was a huge supporter of all this left Lucasfilm. And so we didn't have someone in upper management who was really an ally and was able to promote this and support it. Um, so that was one of the things that happened And and you know, no one can say, this is the future. we got to be here. We have to stay in the space. And yeah. we just kind of stopped.
1: Oh, fair enough. Um, Adventure titles like point click adventures are easily amongst my favourite genre of games. Uh, they seem to reach their peak, like huge demand around sort of mid-90s, I'd say, so sort of early 90s. But then it sort of diminished very quickly uh, in sort of late 90s, early 2000s. Why, why do you think these kind of classic adventure titles s- seem to go out of fashion? Any, do you have any ideas why that might have happened?
0: Well, I think that the audience for them maybe didn't expand enough and
1: yeah,
0: but at the same time, the production values kept on getting higher and higher, which meant that the costs to do them kept on getting higher. And at least in the case of Lucas, um, they made a decision at some point that there wasn't enough return on their investment. Um, for you know, they, I'm sure they were selling, they were, they were, but they weren't selling high enough compared to say, if they put the same numbers into say a Star Wars game. Sure, yeah then they can get a lot more back. And so I think it was primarily a business decision on their part, you know, that, you know, we why put that much money into an adventure game, which is going to take a couple of years to finish and take all these resources and and essentially we're making a, an animated film by the end, when we could um and then we we have a limited audience where if we could start do a Star Wars movie, we have a much broader audience and we could you know sell a lot more. So it was all you know very driven by commercial success. And this is kind of speculation because I wasn't there at the time. Yeah. But you know, from pie- piecing some things together, I think that might be part of it. Um, I think Ron doing, wanting to do a, an adventure game in the style of the old games, like for them we park. Oh yeah. was brilliant because that meant that we could go back to production values that we had in the late eighties, early nineties, and we, we knew more or less what those budgets would be, and and you know we could come up with a game which didn't have to be you know full screen animated sequences or 3D um, yeah. in order to produce um, and kind of set expectations by the the type of game we were creating oh, about right. how much of it should be there in the game.
1: Well, want, actually, yeah, it's a good good time to talk about Timberwood Park, if that's okay, because I I really. I'm halfway through the game right now. I haven't finished it, but I'm really, really enjoying it. And I think it's been so successful, and it, it obviously shows there's still a huge demand for these sort of classic-style adventure titles. But how do you... Did you get the opportunity to work on it? Did Ron call you up one day? Did it come out of the blue? What, what actually happened?
0: Yeah, well, well Ron, you know, Ron's another person I've stayed in touch with over the years. Not as, not as much as Noah, because Noah lives close by, and Ron yep. usually lives far away. But um I think we reconnected more solid, solid solidly. Sorry, let me say that again. Yeah. We reconnected more solidly when I was working on my my Rubworks game, Rub Goldberg game. Oh yeah. And I had both Ron and Noah over several times to brainstorm with me. Um on the game and how to, you know, how we should proceed. And, you know, different ways I could take these cartoons that Rip Goldberg did back in the 1930s and adapt them into a game that would be fun to play. And so, you know, with those multiple times and then showing them progress on the game, we were kind of reconnected in that level. And I think there was a couple of times when Ron was doing some um, mobile games where he had me to be a play tester you know, where we sit down and he watched me play the game for an hour and kind of talk about what I was experiencing and, and just watching, you know, what my confusions were. So we kind of traded back and forth a few times and things yep. like that. And he told me that he and Gary were going to do this project. He was kind of waffling about whether we should do it. And, um, you know, I was giving him some supports. I thought it'd be really, a really fun thing to happen. And, I ended up, I think, reviewing um, some of their Kickstarter screens and pages and you know helping them with editing the text and and you know, making a few suggestions. And I, you know I told him say, hey, if this actually happens, I would love to be a part of it.. Yeah, yeah. So he really wasn't he couldn't promise anything at the time, obviously because he didn't know how much how successful the fundraising would be. But at some point when they reached their, their target, you know, pretty fast, yep. he, he announced that both myself and Mark Ferrari would be on the project. And, um, you know, that was you know, pretty exciting. Um, yeah, you know, I, I when we had our first brainstorming meetings and he and Gary and I, um, they had already, you know, very much like being maniac, maniac mansion. He had the, the overall, story they had the characters they knew more or less what the arc would be what what the rooms would be yep. but the puzzles weren't really defined completely some of them were some weren't so the brainstorming was really to take it from that level down to the very specific you yep. know what where do you find each thing in each room uh where what are the beats we need in the game story beats and um you know what's motivating some of these characters and and you know i think we had maybe maybe four or five days of brainstorming over a two or three month period so we do usually one or two days at a time we would be in the same room first doing that um, and then you know when they actually got again when he got his engine far enough along and gary had started doing some of the wireframe art and i i was brought on to um start wiring up all the rooms and so we could actually walk through them and kind of feel like what was happening, we could actually do a, a version of a, of a game that was playable.
1: Fair play, fair play. Was it, yeah, it, I know you kept your 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 toe in the water with regard to making video games, but was it weird getting back into that old sort of classic point-and-click adventures? Was it, did it feel quite natural? Or did it take a little while to get back into it again? Or
0: um, Well, there, there was a period where I kind of was outside of gaming. I think from yeah. around maybe 95... For five years, I was not really doing games. I did a, a location-based entertainment project for a year in 2000. And then, again, I went away from it. And then I did another project with as a consultant for Disney on a location-based project yeah. uh, for a year and went away. So I was kind of off and on, and I really was outside the industry, really until I did Rubrics, And that was really the first game where I had you know, fully evolved in doing games again. Um, and then I when Ron invited me on the project and I said, yeah, I could do it. Then internally I'm thinking, well, you know, can we go back? Can we get back to that same level of creativity? Do we still have, do I still have it? (laughs) Can I still brainstorm like with these guys and can we make it fun? And, you know, I, I think I had, it wasn't, I mean, I was stressed a bit, but not too much. And, definitely not enough to to ever say, no, I don't know if I can do this. It was more like internal thoughts. Um, But after our first brainstorming five, the first five minutes, I'd say of our brainstorming session, first brainstorming session, it was like, okay, no problem. We can do this. And everything just felt like we just gone right back into the, into the mode that we had 25 years earlier and, and felt very comfortable and, and, fell into a really nice rhythm and you could see, you know, how, how this is going to work. And, and it was, it was really fun. You know, I, I, I loved working with both of them. And then as the team expanded, you know, when Jen came on, she was involved in, in some of the brainstorming sessions too. Um, and, um, the team that Ron put together, um, was amazing. It, it, it was a different experience since we our yeah. our, our meetings were usually, either over, over Skype or we en- ended up using Slack and that's where we have all the, um, you know, text chats or audio chats or whatever was through Slack. And then even though our, our team is spread around the, the, the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, it still felt pretty cohesive. Um, there's probably. Someone working on the game at some time during the day every day, twenty four hours round the clock. You know, because of how spread out everyone was.
1: Well, I, I personally think it's an amazing game. I, I'm looking forward to finishing it. I just I love the art style. I love the the humor. It sort of captures, I think, the the best bits of Monkey Island and the classic adventure titles. Um, I mean, how proud are you of the game? And and oh, do you have a good. personal favorite character as well in the game? If you don't mind me asking.
0: Yeah, I'm very proud of the game. Yeah. Um, I I still love tweeting about it. I, every day I, I look at um, what people are saying about the game and I congratulate people. If I, can, if I notice they say that they've finished it, I usually congratulate them and talk to them a bit um, on Twitter. Yep. Um, favorite characters? Um, probably either Ransom or Dolores for yeah. totally different reasons. Um, I, I wrote the way we did the game. Um, the, most of the, the dialogue sequences were done. Some were done by Ron. I think I did one early on and just realized how hard these were to do. That it was going to be really hard for me to do it. So we ended up getting um, Lauren to be our writer and so she wrote a lot of those, and Ron wrote a bunch of those. So I didn't do a whole bunch of the actual dialogue puzzles, or sequences, but I did most of the, a lot of the cutscene dialogues, um, along with Ron, and most of the, dial, you know, the kind of the little things that happen, dialogue, you know, with as the characters go around the puzzles, so like wiring up the environment. Yeah. Except, except for the man, uh, except for the hotel and the sewers, which were done by Jen. So, you know, I ended up writing a lot of Dolores dialogue and, and text and, and ran some stuff after we kind of got the the mode after Ron kind of set the, the tone for both. And Dolores just felt, you know, I could easily remember what it was like to work, to want to work at Lucasfilm and get hired there. So a lot of that comes directly from my experience. Of what that felt like and you know, that yearning and, and wanting to be part of that company and, and, and then twisting it to you know, make it funny and kind of parodying it as a mucus phlegm. It
1: was very clever. Yeah.
0: It was so. actually something that, that we, refer, we called the company internally back at the time. Oh really? So that was, that was a, you know, we kind of make fun of it ourselves while we were there. So, um,
1: that's a good in joke.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah. I, ransom. I I ended up. Um. I think it's probably pretty well known. We ended up. Um. Recording. Well, when we wrote the dialogue for ransom, yeah. we wrote it as beeps. So you know, <laughs> yeah. I I don't want to I don't want to beeping do that. You know, <laughs> yeah. let the beep. Um. And. It, we tried recording. Having the, the actor who who did Ransom um, record, it, you know, tried to do some tests by saying beep.
1: Yeah.
0: And it just felt really flat. So Ron had him ad lib, you know, <laughs> real swear words, you know, swearing yeah. without the words there is beep. Then it was my task to take those 700 or 600 lines of audio. Yeah. And go through and actually add beats to them. So I got to hear wow. him, you know, doing it raw, <laughs> and then adding the, you know, kind of mind, it was kind of mind-numbing task. I think it took me a couple of weeks to go through it. The
1: amount of and swear words, eh?
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Some some lines had four or five of them. Wow. So, um, and but we saved those, and um, you know, I think it's already known that we, we plan to release you know, downloadable content. Oh,
1: like an 18 Uh, version is what you're thinking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's probably, it's coming at some point. Oh, wow, I can't wait. Um, That's public knowledge.
1: Oh, fair enough. Um, I I don't know if you can answer this, um, but do you think there will be a sequel possibly to Fimuwi Park by any chance? I don't
0: know. There's, I think we're still in that mode where um, not as much me, because you know, I, I, I pretty much been off the project, maybe you know, part time during the summer, and then pretty much off since September. Yeah. You know, Ron is still much more involved, and I think he's just coming off. And when you're focused so tight, focused so tightly on a project, you really want some downtime before no. you. It's kind of like you don't want to bounce into the next thing before you're ready to really choose what you want to do next. So, um, I, I would guess it's not likely there'll be a sequel specifically on Thibbleweed park, I'm sure Ron will do other games, Yeah. whether, whether or not I get to work with him again. Um, it kind of depends on what kind of game he does and whether he needs an adventure game guy sure. on it. Um, but yeah, I'd love to work again if that happened he knows that. And, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, it, it was a lot of fun. I, I don't know enough about the finances of the game to know whether it was profitable enough to justify doing another game in that same genre. Yeah, um, well, I hope I know, hope it does it was,
1: happen personally, but that's you
0: know. Yeah, well, I know that I know broke even. I know that you know there's that they made money, yep. but there's a difference between you know making enough money to fund another game versus making enough money to to. Pay the rent and, and survive, and, and do what you need to do. And, and I know where we are. With that that's you know I'm not involved in that world of the game.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. No, I hope it does happen though. Um, a couple of really cheeky questions. And I I don't think you can tell me them, but d- did Ron Gilbert ever reveal to you the secret of Monkey Island? And do you think he'll ever get the opportunity to work on the, his his personal third Monkey Island game? Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you probably can't answer, these, but I'll chuck it out anyway. <laughs>
0: sure well first question no um i i kind of know, guess it know it but he hasn't actually told me it yeah um the the likelihood of him getting to do a third i think it's pretty tiny for the same reason that even probably even more so than the likely of me getting to do a zach in the case of zach i would probably be willing to do a game that was owned by disney Yep. If it was under the right circumstances and there was enough buffering so he didn't have to deal with a lot of um, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, that, yeah.
1: Um,
0: but in the case of Ron, I know that he would not want to do a game that he didn't own. Yeah. And so the idea of licensing something that he created from Disney and then having Disney essentially mm-hmm. have last say on what he could or couldn't do it which is I think that's a, a, a no go. There's sense. no way that would happen. And whether Disney would actually say, yes, go ahead here you can you can buy buy this free and clear. Um, I it's hard to see getting even getting them in the room with someone without millions and millions of dollars, you know, on the table to do something like that. I mean they just wouldn't bother since their focus is somewhere else. It's like kind of like, you know, not even picking up the phone kind of thing. It's, it's a um, big
1: shame, isn't it? But I, I, I hear what you're saying completely.
0: Yeah. And, and this is just kind of my, mostly my speculation. Based course, on, yeah. 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 I mean, who knows? I mean, there could be some deal that that's happening in the back room somewhere or where that totally could happen. Yeah. But I, I, think it's not likely you wouldn't put yeah. money um, in there fair enough yeah I, I wouldn't put any money on that um, not my money
1: nah, of course <laughs> uh before we finish really a t- couple of quick questions then um is there any projects or other games you're working on or any future projects you hope to get involved in um that, that you can tell to us
0: um well i'm not working on anything quite yet i'm, I'm finishing up a few um Updates to like the Rub Goldberg game, to RubeWorks and to some earlier apps I did with my wife. Yeah. Um. There's another book that she had a story book that she written for kids that I had started to do as a storybook app. Um. Not really a game, but for younger kids. Um. Several years ago that I'd like to go back and finish. And I would, you know, still love to get involved in a in a location-based entertainment type project, maybe yep. an AR project. I mean, I think. Um, the idea of going into a theme park where you have an um, amazing environment already built physically mm. and then doing AR on top of it as an overlay and having overlay games is, is going to be a huge um, activity that you do at those parks and there's you know, Jonathan Ackley who um, was at LucasArts and I worked together with him at rocket science games. So he, he ended up at Disney and as a Disney Imagineering. And that's what he brought to them is trying to do interactive as overlay games on the parks. Um, the, the project that Annie and I got to work on was under, under Jonathan. Yeah. And he wanted to do overlay stuff at, um, at a few of the Asia parks. And we got to do one at, tokyo disney sea which actually got implemented um called the the leonardo leonardo challenge and you google google that and see some imagery from it and um that's still kind of a dream for me so whether it's ar whether it's you know just actually being in a park, whether it's a vr thing or some combination of those i don't know yet but i would so love to do that um
1: i generally hope that happens i think I really think
0: you'd be the the right man for the job. Yeah, me too. We're going back to... um, I'm a Harry Potter fan too. Um, We went to the... I went to the park in Orlando and then the one in Los Angeles a couple of times and my wife and I are going back to the Orlando one in February because she hasn't seen that one um, because there's a lot more there. But, But the idea of having... Some you know, Harry Potter spectacles on, where you could walk through with a wand that's interactive and do stuff and interact with other people, with wizards, and and where you have this amazing um, locale that really feels like you're in that universe. Um, yeah. Would be a really fun game to do.
1: That's, that and sounds so, pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, so yeah, I'm sure things like that will happen. I don't know if I'll be on on them or not, but I'm sure maybe I'll get to, at least get to play them if I don't. If I don't get to do it myself,
1: I really wish you all the good luck. Um, just before we say goodbye, final question: uh, If you could share a few drinks with a video game character, who would you choose and why?
0: Ooh, <laughs> well, I'm thinking of. If I want to drink with Ransom. I don't think my, <laughs> I don't think I could I could survive his tongue lashing. So probably not him. It probably would it'd probably be too damaging to my <laughs> ego to hang out with him. Yeah. Um, hmm. I probably would want to hang out with Zach.
1: Yeah.
0: And just just because he he has clearly some similar interests to mine. Um, like hear some stories, about what, what he's up to, um, what what crazy wacky things he's you know uncovered, um, conspiracies and alien invasions and things like that, and, and just kind of find out what he's been doing for the last you know. Well, if the game took place, what, 19 was it 1997, I think? No, we, we did it earlier. So I guess I have to find out what he's been doing for the last <laughs> um, 20 years.
1: That sounds like the perfect answer, actually. I like that. Very good. Okay. Um, yeah. look, Dave, generally, really, really means a lot to me that you came on today. And I, I, sh- I know our listeners are going to love this interview, so I really, really appreciate the time. Um, I wish you all the luck in the future. Um, you're on Twitter, aren't you, Dave? So people can follow you, can't they, there?
0: Yeah, follow me at um, David B. As in boy, Fox, David B. Fox on Twitter, and that's probably where I'm most active. I'm on Facebook too, but not very, not yeah. as active there.
1: And have you got a website as well? Is that what, that you do if um Yeah, Ele-
0: Electric Eggplant. Yeah, as our our little company, and you can go there and, and also contact me there through that and um, find out what we've what we're working on.
1: Brilliant. I I really do. Uh... You know, urge our listeners to do that but thanks so much david do appreciate it and all the best luck in the future and uh, i really hope your um your theme park idea really comes to fruition definitely
0: that's great i'm, I'm sure i'll get to play it someday <laughs> yeah definitely even if it's not my even if it's not my creation someone is doing this
1: good on you all right well david i'll leave it there because i know you're a busy man so I'll, I'll talk to you another time hopefully take care all right thank you see you later Bye bye
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast We really hope you enjoyed it If you want to get in touch regarding this week's episode Or anything else You can tweet us at ArcadeAttackUK At Barlow 82 And at Arcade underscore Adriano We're also on Facebook At facebook.com slash ArcadeAttackUK Please check out our website At arcadeattack.co.uk For lots of retro gaming goodness Interviews, reviews, features Top 10s etc And you can also find all our previous podcasts there